Hoodoo Plant Mamas Get your soul fed and your spirit red This here in the trend I possess the power from way back when Back when folk was stripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic within Ancestors and gather my herbs I conjure at my altar Hoodoo Plant Mamas Manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can't have culture like us. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Who Do Plant Mamas. I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And today we are going to talk about dreams. But first, Danny B, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good today. I started the day, I don't know, just in a decent mood. Um, So yeah, I feel good today and I feel excited about our discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Same. I like I had had not the best week. Um, and I had to come to some like tough realizations for myself, but also today I was very surprised. I had like my childhood best friend called me and I was like, what is she doing calling me? I ain't talked to her in like a decade, but apparently she's getting married this year and she wants me to be her bridesmaid. I know, but yeah, I'm super excited to go and see her again. Like I was just thinking the past week, I was like, I really miss like the time that we had together. And I don't know, in my mind, I I just imagined that it was over and to get that invitation was kind of like, no, you're still welcome here. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what are you um, grateful for today? (laughs) I am I'm a grateful, I'm going to say for second chances. I'm also grateful for redirections, even if they are a bit harsh. What are you grateful for? I was, I'm going to say I'm thankful for Lucille Clifton. If you're one of our patrons, by the time this releases, you probably read um, what I said about Lucille Clifton and that I got um, recently got a Oracle deck with like quotes from her poems. So I've been pulling one every day just like for reflection. Um, And I really like that, you know, I have moved away from the tarot cards. Um, I don't know if I'm done with tarot cards, but I just, they stopped resonating. I feel like they served a particular purpose. Uh, We, you know, we go through different things on our spiritual journey and maybe are called to things to lead us to something else. I really like Oracle decks because they're I mean, you can divine with them, but they're also just, you can just pull cards for reflection. So um, that's been a really good practice that I'm trying to like keep the momentum of daily. So highly recommend them. Can you send me a link? (laughs) Yes. The link is actually in the Patreon, but I was going to tell people now you can get them from Scamazon, but you can also (laughs) buy them directly from the publisher. Um, what is it called? Turtle Point Press or Bookshop. Okay. I would recommend Bookshop. I think it's the same price as everywhere else. It might be cheaper, um, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I link to. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, let's get into the episode. So, today we want to talk about, like, dreams as, like, liberation work. And we're 
pulling inspiration from Toni Morrison's Sarah Lawrence commencement speech from 1988. But before we jump into that, I'm really interested in like opening up with our own dreams that to kind of um, kind of frame this conversation because we all we've all grew up and had whatever dreams we had until we didn't, I think. Um, so I want to start with like, what dreams did you have specifically, <laughs> Leah? What dreams? <laughs> what dreams did you have growing up um, that you can think of? Uh, the first one was I wanted to be a star. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a Disney Channel star specifically because I did. I learned all the Cheetah Girls choreography. I knew all the songs. I was convinced I was a great actress. <laughs> so. That was something I wanted to do. And then something else, I wanted to be a writer, which I think that's the one dream that I'm actually still (laughs) holding on to and and working with. So what about you? What kind of dreams do you have? All kind of stuff. I think I had dreams of being like a superstar or whatever, but writer was for me. I was just talking to my friend about how a lot of Black Southern writers or aspiring writers um, we had dreams of moving to New York and becoming like a real writer, you know, and I was telling her how I, I can't remember the exact image that I had, but it was very whimsical, very like, you know, this is where dreams come true. <laughs> and yeah. And so I had, I really had that dream, but at the heart of it was, I want to be a poet. I want to be like Maya Angelou. I want to be like this person. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely one of my dreams that is enduring, that I still, that's still a part of me now. So, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was like, you know, growing up, um, there's a point in which it's cute for a while. Like, it's cute for a six or seven year old to say, I want to be a poet until it's not. And until it's like the real world. And so I want to talk about if you ever reached a point in dreaming where you either felt like it was a waste of time or you started to doubt it specifically because of like, you know, other people interfering and kind of shutting you down or maybe just your experiences growing up. I don't think I ever got to the point where I thought dreaming was a waste of time. And that was something that, I'm coming to realize like I had a very active imagination as a child. And I think when you couple that with like the fears and the insecurities that people project on you to you, that active imagination kind of goes into the the shadow side where you uh, dream up the absolute worst thing that could happen instead of dreaming up the absolute best. Um, So I think I've still been dreaming, maybe not in the ways that I want to dream, but Um, In terms of doubting my dreams, I would say yes. I remember, I think it was last year, I asked both my friend and my roommate, like, are they where they thought they would be when they were 18 years old? And both of them were like, yeah, I I think I'm in the same place. I may be a bit more, bit ahead of where I thought. But for me, I'm in a completely different place because by the time I was 18, I had given up the idea that I could be a writer and I could write successfully. I so many people had told me it was best to keep it a hobby. And so I took their advice and was just like, oh, I just write poems in my um, journal or I just write these essays for my creative writing classes. Um, And I didn't major or minor in creative writing. I just took like a couple classes here and there. 
But yeah, I had given up the idea that I could be a writer. And so when I finally finished my book, I was like amazed. I'm like, I actually did this thing. And that was when I started to tell people, okay, I wrote a book instead of I am writing a book because I knew so many people would try to take that dream away from me. But no, I actually accomplished it. So I'm very proud of myself. I love that. I, yeah, I think that I went through that same thing with the writing thing. And I actually, when I was talking to, I always have these epiphanies when I'm talking to my friends, um, like, because you, you hear, you, you say it, you tell a story and then you hear it and you're like, hmm, that's kind of fucked up. I didn't think about that. But, you know, at the college we attended, I, um, actually there were two English teachers, two white English teachers. Um, one of them notorious for being racist. Um, and I didn't know at the time, I didn't know till after the fact, this is the woman that accused ESA of plagiarism, the same person. So yeah, these two white um, professors I took their class and I had never in my life ever felt as in as inadequate as I felt in those classes and they ended up scaring me away from majoring in English like I planned and I also stopped writing creatively I stopped writing creatively um I did take a creative writing class in poetry that was okay but for the most part that was like my senior year. So I basically stopped writing for like three or four years, almost four years. Um, and then after college, I kind of started getting back into it. And so, yeah, that was just an example of like, even the ways, you know, these institutions will crush us. Um, but I did want to say, we we'll just get into this next question of, has anyone in your family or community discouraged you from dreaming? Um, or witnessing the conditions in your community, how it, how did it shape your relationship to dreaming? For me, I, family or people I came in contact with when I was really committed to the, I want to be, I used to say I wanted to be a doctor and a poet because kids. And also I like that me saying I wanted to be a doctor made my grandma happy, but I really was more interested in poetry. And people would say, "What? How, you ain't making no money. What's that? What you really want to do? Or like, what's, you, you got to have a real job. And, you know, after you hear that so many times, you kind of internalize it. So I dropped poet and I just would tell people, oh, I want to be a doctor. And of course, that fizzled out because I just, it just became uninteresting. Like, I was just like, mm, I don't think I really want to do that. But um, yeah, and then. What about you before I jump into the other thing? I was going to say, same as you, I told people I wanted to be a writer. They told me that was a waste of my talents. Um, <laughs> and I kept trying to find something because I, I remember I was like, oh, I can be a journalist. And people are like, you don't actually want to be a journalist. I was like, well, I guess I'll be an English teacher or something. I was just trying to find some way that I could keep writing but have a quote unquote respectable job or have a job that people thought, you know, was uh, relevant to the community. But really, I just wanted to write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to write. And people are just like, that's a waste of talent. You need to find something that will help people. And I'm like, writing can help people. <laughs> but yeah. 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 And it's it's so weird, too. It doesn't actually make sense when you really think about it. But um, 
So another thing I was thinking about is like how witnessing the conditions of our community can shape our relationship to dreaming. So a part of that idea of if you're living in the South, especially a place like Mississippi, you have to move to New York or maybe L.A. or somewhere um, in order to be a real writer or a real actor or whatever. I think that we see like we see the limits. We see like the imbalance in our communities and it's like um it's kind of like how my grandma talks about um leaving Mississippi she just was like I knew that there were no opportunities for me other than and other you know other black older black women have, have echoed this unless I wanted to clean somebody's house or maybe be a teacher um and I, and there's nothing wrong with being a teacher, but she didn't want to do that. She wanted to be some, she wanted to do something else and black people deserve options. Like they, they deserve to not have limits on what they can do. Um, and for me, I just didn't see any, I didn't see any poets from where I'm from. I didn't hear about, like, I didn't learn about Natasha Trethewey or Jasmine Ward literally until college. Like I did not know of any body that was from where I was from that was doing that it didn't seem possible it seemed like I had to get out um in order to be taken seriously and so yeah what about did you ever have that experience with growing up where you grew up I don't think I ever imagined living like in a big city like New York or Chicago or Los Angeles I think when I was in college I was thinking like the Pacific Northwest I just thought it was like a cool artsy place to go um now I realize like Oregon is founded on white supremacy which they of course I want us there they said we gonna <laughs> we gonna create us a white town <laughs> so yeah uh but yeah I just I didn't imagine leaving Mississippi um and I guess for me I guess for me that kind of showed the limits I placed on my own dreaming like I always was I had big dreams, but even those dreams had limits to them. Like I was like, I want to write, but I never imagined writing outside of Mississippi. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I was impacted because I did want to be useful. I wanted to be helpful to my community. I'm someone that cares a lot about community service and community engagement. And so when people were telling me that writing wasn't useful, I was trying to find some way to balance the needs of the community with my own personal needs. So that was where I was trying to negotiate with like being a journalist and being an English teacher and stuff like that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, I think so. A part of this, when we talk, when we're talking about like dreams as liberation work, I think one of the most, and we'll talk about this later, one of the most violent things you can do is shut down, especially a child's dreams, because they are always looking towards the impossible they're always imagining worlds that we you know that we say yeah right that can't happen but they they have they have so much hope and it's really powerful and it and it really gets to what Toni Morrison um teaches us about dreams so we can get into it yeah I really love um in her commencement speech when she said I want to talk about dreaming not the activity of the sleeping brain, but rather the activity of an awakened alert one. Not the idle, wishful speculation, but engaged, directed daytime vision. 
entranced into another space, someone else's situation, sphere, projection, if you like. By dreaming, the self permits intimacy with the other without the risk of being the other. And this intimacy that comes from pointed imagining should precede our decision-making, our cause-mongering, our action. We are in a mess, you know. We have to get out. And only the archaic definition of the word dreaming will save us. And in her archaic definition of the word dreaming, she used the words unusual, clarity, order, significance, and vividness. Man, it's so funny that we both read this separate of each other and I literally highlighted that same. You had already <laughs> added it. It's like, yeah. let's talk about this. Um, I love how she like positions dreaming as like this revolutionary act. And I also love this sentence that she put before saying she wanted to talk about dreaming. She said, I want to talk about the activity you were always warned against as being wasteful, impractical, hopeless. And I think that's, you know, that's essentially what you're saying when a kid says, oh, I want to be a poet. Oh, I want to be a teacher. Because they used to do that about teachers, too, which is weird, because particularly in the black community, educators were of the most revered in the community, like very well respected. So it's kind of weird to make this shift to like, mm, you ain't making no money. I should be. I should be able to make money as a teacher. That's a whole nother thing. Anyway, it's <laughs> and also I want to like get to um how it's interesting that dreaming would become associated with things like wasteful and hopeless because I feel like dreaming has aided in black people's survival um I think it's like ancestral and it's always been like a source of hope for us um and so I really wonder about the role of capitalism in trying to remove us from what she called pointed imagining um and essentially I think manifestation like I think some of what she's talking about is like manifesting through your dreams, through these things that you call into yourself. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts? I I want to talk about that last point you said, because I do think that dreams are a source of manifestation. There have been so many times where I'm like, I'm going to go and do this thing. And then when I come right up to it, I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that. I can't do that. And But when I finally do it, I'm like, it's not that bad. And then when it's done... I realized like, oh, years ago, I told myself I was going to do this thing. And I go through this whole <laughs> this whole process of trying to talk myself out of it. Because like most of us in the system, we have just been told like, we need to be more realistic. We need to quit dreaming. We need to give up dreaming. Um, and so I do think it is an act of resistance. I think it's a revolutionary act just because like when you can dream a new world, it's possible. When we tell ourselves like all we have ever had is capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy, that's what we're going to accept. We're not going to be like, we can have a world without it because we've never imagined a world without it. Um, and so I really love this quote because it reminded me of the Nat Ministry and how she said that dreaming and imagining is fundamental to our liberation work, how we can't come up with a better world if we don't imagine it first. So, yes. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned um, them as far as like their work around this. I also, another thing I was thinking about as I was reading this was like, man, it feels, this feels like spirit work. Like this feels like, um, you know, how can we move? Like, how can dreaming be a part of our, like the spiritual work we're engaging in? 
um, because I was thinking about how like dreaming being looked down upon or seen as frivolous and like um, the whole idea of like, you know, who cares about ending poverty, having dreams of ending poverty because it's not realistic or dreaming of a prisonless society. I used to be one of those people that felt like abolition just seems unrealistic. What do we do with these type of people? I think that it's deeper. It's more expansive than like, what do we do with them? Like, I think abolition is not just that. Um, And then like, what's the point of hoping for a world where black people are free? And so like, I think like the function of making us devalue dreaming is really like white hierarchical violence. And it's really intended to like separate us from spirit and from that radical act of dreaming our way to freedom. Um, like kind of like what the nap ministry gets to like really even keeping us from resting, keeping us on that, um, spin wheel of capitalism is, (laughs) that's all a part of the game to keep us away from that dreaming and imagining that the nap ministry talks about and what Toni Morrison is talking about. So, yes, I love when she posed the question, what would it look, what would it look like? if the solution to all the world's problems was not to kill anyone. (laughs) And I think that's really what you're getting into with the abolition work. And she talked about drugs. She talked about disease. And when she got to the disease, she was like, who deserves to die and who doesn't? And is there an acceptable death rate? And how can we make our comfort and fun and safety not based on the deprivation of others? And I was like, all of this thing is just a really big critique of capitalism and how much it has taken away from us from the very basic concept that a lot of us are afraid to have a dream because to dream means to resist to dream means we're not giving every single ounce of ourselves to the system that wants us dead and wants money for it I think that's what inclines us to push back against things like um, some of the principle that nap ministry that the nap ministry pushes because um, like, you know, of course there are things that they posted and I'm not like, I was like, I don't know if I agree with that all the way and that's fine, but I agree with, um, most of like the principle of this and, and most of what is said. Um, and I feel like a lot of people push back against the idea of rest. Rest is a privilege in some ways it is, but I also think they're limiting, like you're limiting what rest could look like. It is take a nap, but it's not just take a nap. Like it's not always literally take a nap. Yes, literally take a nap. Also literally lay down and allow yourself to get lost in somewhere else. Meditate um, or just be, sit in silence. There are so many ways that I found myself um, relinquishing to rest that is not traditional. It's not always a nap. Sometimes it's me sitting literally in my living room, no TV, the window is up and just like pausing literally nothing not thinking about nothing just drinking my coffee or whatever um and to me that's important like that's that's still a part of that work in my opinion um I also want to talk can you talk a little bit about the dreaming and abolition work that you uh yeah so there was this um This quote that Toni Morrison said, we must do all we can to imagine the other before we presume to solve the problem that work and life demand of us. Dream the world as it ought to be. And she used it to talk about 
you know, these systems of capitalism, racism, all these things that we are like, this is the way things have always been. So this is the way things will always be. And it's the pushback against that is kind of like the reason it's the way it's always been is because no one is questioning. No one has imagined anything other than this. And like you said, like when we look at abolition work or when we look at prisons and be like, oh, we can't just not have prisons because then what's going to happen? We're not dreaming. We're not imagining what else will happen. I felt the same way when we talk about decolonization and giving land back to natives. People get so afraid that natives are going to kick people out of this country. And I'm like, well, it's their choice, (laughs) one. But then two, what if they don't? What if we can find a way to all live together on this land while natives have the land that their ancestors have had for um, centuries? So it's like there is a way. And I think a lot of us, a lot of times we get so caught up in the fear that we're going to like lose what we have now without seeing the possibility of maybe more abundance and maybe and maybe more abundance for everyone, not just for a select few. Yeah, I love that you kind of position this as like dreaming in dreaming in abolition work or as abolition work, because um I've been thinking about that a lot and I feel like it's so in line with Junata Petrus, who we interviewed for the Writing the Spirit episode, who's actually our season finale, one of my favorites of the series. Um, And she's doing a lot of work around abolition and pleasure. And I actually wrote a paper for that book. I'm so in love with that book, y'all. I know everybody in my life is just sick of me talking about it, but I'm not going to stop. I wrote a paper about it um, and I couldn't not mention that not only is the author abolitionist, but this is an abolitionist text. Um, and it's filled with dreaming, especially black girl dreaming. And I pulled a quote from her project that she did on the erotics of abolition um, that I still think about where she essentially says she's interested in how we abolish the police from our bodies and psyches, especially when so much of black life is shaped in surviving the violence of white supremacy. And I feel like that is all in conversation with dreaming and the limits we internalize about ourselves in the world. And I'd say even a form of like policing, like I think that keeping us from dreaming is a type of like policing, keeping black people from dreaming, keeping black people from resting. Um, And I think Morrison is really urging us to push back against that in this speech. Yes. I I also love that this was directed towards college students um, because she was like, you're kind of at this crossroads in your life and I want you to make decisions considering how it's going to affect other people and not just yourself. So something else I really loved um, from that section was when she talked about, have we not imagined anything better than hatred and destruction? Um, And the way to get through that hatred and destruction or the way to annihilate that is by beginning to imagine its absence. She said, if I spend my life despising you because of your race or class or religion, I become your slave. If you spend yours hating me for similar reasons, it is because you are my slave. I own your energy, your fear, your intellect. I determine where you live, how you live, what your work is, your definition of excellence, and I set limits to your ability to love. I will have shaped your life, that is the gift of your hatred. You are mine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Listen, that 
was something like that was intense so when I read this quote I was like damn like something about it felt very subversive and empowering but then I had complicated feelings about it because you know I was like okay do I feel like white people or queer phobic people or misogynists do I feel like they're my slave I mean yeah they spend a lot of energy hating us but they're also like quite literally like killing us or trying And if they don't succeed in killing us, they leave us with the wounds. And so I was like, "Mm, I have mixed feelings about this. I just feel like it's very audacious. It's very subversive. But I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I believe that. In some ways, I think it's true. In other ways, slave feels like not the right word. But that's just me. And I was interested in your initial thoughts on that quote. Yeah, I think. It was the second time I listened to the speech that I actually picked up on that. And I was like, wow. But I remember watching one of those uh, videos with my roommates where it's like the white lib who tries to own the Trump supporter. And I was just so confused by it because I'm like, we have this one life and these people are obsessed. Like they are worried sick about what my black ass is doing. They spend their whole days concocting (laughs) plans to try to like attack me. And I'm like, do you not have anything better to do with your time? Like it's so confusing. I'm like, even when I think about the KKK, I'm like, y'all really spend your whole life obsessed with me. Like I'm not even thinking about you and you over here obsessed and worried about what I'm doing. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I don't think you come to this earth to be upset, that obsessed, that obsessed that you make it your whole identity that you're going to hate somebody else. Um, but on the flip side, I also felt that way about black people too. Like I, I completely understand when a black person is like, I hate white people. I'm like, you don't even have to explain that to me. <laughs> but I'm also like, in that same way, you will completely shape your life to avoid white people because you don't want to be around them. You will completely be like, I'm not going to do this thing because it's a white people thing. And I'm not going to do that because it's a white people. And it's like, no, like everything is available to you. Hiking is not a white people activity. It is for all of us. Nature is for all of us and, and things like that. So I think when I heard that quote for the second time and I was thinking about Toni Morrison, when she said that racism is a distraction, I think that that was what she was talking about. Like we get so caught up in that hatred that we lose sight of our vision. We lose sight of our reason for being here. And that is what, and I think in that way, that's what she means. Like we're giving all of our energy to this thing that's not even real. It's real in the way that it affects our lives, but in the grand scheme of things, race is not even real. And we give so much of our time and energy to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point. And I've, you know, I've seen people that had qualms with the distraction thing that quote um, for similar reasons that I had, you know, my mixed feelings about saying that they are slave to us. Um, but it is true. Like it's, it's a lot of energy. Um, somebody created a thread on Twitter of uh, black people basically smacking the shit out of white people for saying racist stuff. Usually it was like, <laughs> Um, nigger or you know some white lady was in line arguing with these black women and the black women walked off they chose not violence first and she said well black bitches need to learn how to act and you know from there the ancestors took over 
Um, because <laughs> one of the because one of the women was actually trying to be a mediator. Actually, it was one of them was actually going to jump, and she was like, "Girl, let's just go." But as soon as she said the black bitch statement, both of them Molly whopped her ass like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "I bet you money that's in the south." Like, because y'all, we don't be, they weren't recording. We don't be recording. You just about to get smacked. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And so um, it does take a lot of energy. It's like you, you come into a space ready and on edge and just like black people just make you so uncomfortable. And I mean, in some ways I do avoid places if I don't, you know, if it's too many, like if I feel like it's not enough black people here. But I don't think it's in a way that's like impacted my life. I think it's a matter of safety because I know that y'all can be unsafe um, for me in large, <laughs> in large numbers. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really good point, which you made about um, kind of, especially the, what she says about racism and a dis- is a distraction in conversation with the fact that you're a slave to these people that you hate so much. So Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hoodoo Plant Mamas podcast. To support this podcast, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we have a Patreon. Um, So we have a $2 tier for those who want to give every month as a love offering. And we have a $5 all access tier, which includes monthly mini sews, newsletter, and plant content. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can give any amount you want on Cash App, Cash Tag, Hoodoo Plant Mamas, or PayPal, HoodooPlantMamas at gmail.com. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, email us at HoodooPlantMamas at gmail.com. We especially want to work with Black, Indigenous, POC-owned, and career-owned businesses. Let's get back to the show. So for this second half of the show, I wanted to talk about dreaming our existence. It was something that came up in the speech and it was something that we had talked about before and you you said you wanted to talk more about it. So this is what Toni Morrison um, said in the speech. Well, now you may be asking yourself, what is all this? I can't save the world. What about my life? I didn't ask to come here. I didn't ask to be born. Didn't you? I put it to you that you did. You not only asked to be born, you insisted on your life. That is why you are here. No other reason. It was too easy not to be. Now that you are here, you have to do something you respect, don't you? Your parents did not dream you up. You did. I'm simply urging you to continue the dream you started. I want to talk about that. Like, What do you think about this idea that we dreamt ourselves into being? I ain't gonna lie. Um, Mother Morrison was losing me because I'm that person. I asked for this, okay? And I asked this question a lot, like, what, what's going on? Like, that's what I say out to God, just randomly. Um, but I think there's something to it. You know what I mean? I was actually talking to a friend about how, y'all, I know y'all tired of me saying I was actually talking to a friend. Me and my friends be talking, okay? But um, I was a rainbow baby. I was a rainbow baby. And I, my dad tells me this story all the time about how like, yeah, it was touch and go. Um, your mom, there was a period of time when she kind of had to be on bed rest. 
And I told my friend that I wonder if I was the first baby and that I told I was trying to avoid coming. And God said, you're going like you're going. (laughs) That's unlikely, but I have thought about it. I actually talked to my daddy about it. He said, I don't know. It's possible because it was us again. Like it could have been you because I was just like, I could see that. Like I could see myself fighting, saying I'm not going and God saying bet and me ended up here anyway. So, um, yeah, I feel like in some ways it, but see then that wasn't my choice. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole, but yeah. What about you? What are your feelings? (laughs) Um, about you personally, I think you may have been the one that was like, no, I don't, I don't want to (laughs) go, but, but yeah, I do think I did like this um, idea that we dreamt ourselves into being and that we chose the lives that we have. I'm kind of torn because I'm like, to say that we chose the lives that we had is kind of like to say that I don't have free will. And I do it. I do. I think I do have free will. I think I can make the decisions um, in my life, but I think where we come from and who we come from and that kind of lineage, we chose that. Um, and for me, I've been kind of wondering, like, are we just reincarnated ancestors? Like, how do we choose the kind of bodies and lives do we have? Do or do we just like recycle our lineage? Like, that's why I've been wondering the logistics of that. But in terms of dreaming ourselves into being, I've been, I'm not gonna say I've been struggling with it, but I have been thinking about why did I choose this life and why did I choose to be here during this time and what can I do with the time that I have here? So that those are questions I've been asking myself. Don't know the answers, but. <laughs> I don't think it's a coincidence though, that that is in a, in a African traditional uh, religion, that that is an origin story. And it's a story that black people have kind of, come to in different ways that they may not it may not be um labeled through that religion but it it is something that they um that they've reclaimed in some ways um so yeah yeah like you said uh it's in different african religions i know ia hime ora talked about how in ifa they have this uh concept of destiny selection where we choose certain aspects of our lives like our morals our values, our personality and stuff, and that we chose to um, live here. Um, And so I kind of wanted to complicate that idea because something else that they wrote was that we incarnate to figure out certain lessons and overcome issues that keeps our spirit weighed down. The cycle of reincarnation doesn't end until we learned our lessons completely and freed our souls. So my question is, do you feel like you've been here before? And if so, what do you think is your life lesson? I really actually like that question. And even that idea that reincarnation is about learning lessons. I would like to be done. I would like to not come back unless I come back as a tree. Um, So I definitely feel like it's possible. I think I felt that more deeply as a child. I don't know about you. I feel like I experienced so much deja vu as a kid, so much to the point of discomfort. And in certain places and smells would like trigger good or bad feelings that I couldn't explain. And um, 
I also would like meet people that seem familiar, but I'd never met before. All kind of weird shit. Um, as far as the lesson, I feel like it's like related to self-esteem and independence, bodily autom- autonomy, things like that. Um, and then if I had to like take a like more cohesive guess, I would say um, my lesson to learn would be like to stand in my power, see myself as powerful, see myself as um, to see myself as I am in the image of God and believe it. Um, because that image of God thing, I actually did some, um, automatic writing Friday and that came up like you are, you are in the image of God. Like you look in the mirror or you looking for, um, somebody to save you look in the mirror, (laughs) you know, um, that's the gist of it. It was actually a very interesting, that was the first time with automatic writing where I felt like, this ain't me. <laughs> so, yeah. I I like that last part um to see yourself as the image of God. I I'm reading uh Will Smith's memoir right now. Um yeah, I usually don't read celebrity memoirs, but a lot of people were like this is really good. And I agree. So far it's been really good, but that was something he said was like he viewed his grandma as God. Um, and it's something you've said. It's something Crystal Wilkinson's and so many people have. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So many people have viewed these like older black women as God. And I think that's so beautiful. Um, and maybe that's, that is your lesson for you to see yourself the way you see other, your grandma. No, I was just going to say, it's really profound the power that like black women, especially black elder women's play in our communities. That's why like black people, men and women at this point, because they've really been acting the fool the last couple of days. When they really try to internalize patriarchy and project that on us and on the community, these matriarch figures and not even pushing matriarchy because a lot of them as much as we've seen them as god were still very much male-centered not all of them but a lot of them were still very much believed in some of the things me and you probably don't believe in about men and women but they ran the community they held up the community they took care of the community they fed the community they took care of the house Um, they're the reasons why a lot of them their husbands outlived them So it's just like, why do we keep trying to even push that agenda? It's never been true. It's never been true for us. And it's not me saying, oh, we need to have a matriarchy. I mean, it's not me saying we don't, but I'm just saying patriarchy has never, it's not something that we need. Our our Black people, Black communities has always been a communal structure where mostly the women are doing the heavy labor, are doing the heavy lifting. So, um, and without them, we would have survived. That's why we see them as God. That's why they are such powerful figures for a lot of us. Amen. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, for me, when thinking about being here before, I'm going to say yes. And I just think like, I've had so many dreams that feel real, but are not about my life. This is about somebody else's life. And I'm just like, is it someone else's life or is it like a past life? Um, 
just things like that. And also kind of something that made me think, I don't know if I'm actually a reincarnation of this person, but I'm named after my great grandma. She died seven years before I was born. Um, and she had hobbies that I have just felt drawn to. She also had a life that I've just been kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if these things happened to me? And and I find out about these things after, like she really loved plants. And my grandma talked about this huge garden that she had. And I didn't find that out until like years after I had started collecting plants. Um, she also had three husbands. And I don't, I don't know. I was always like, when I was younger, I was like, I think I want to be married three times. <laughs> and I didn't find out that she had three husbands until this. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> But just like little things like that where I'm like, and then also I'm named after her because my grandma was like, when you came out, um, you look just like my mama. And so that's how I got the name. So I've been wondering about that too. Am I a reincarnation of my great grandma? Um, or also like, what have my past lives looked like? What did I do when I was here? Things like that. In terms of deja vu, I actually came to this theory and I wrote about it that maybe deja vu isn't like we've done this before, but maybe it's the future coming to us in the present. And then when we finally get to that future point again, uh, that's the deja vu that we feel. No, because I swear you're, I think you're right because I feel like there's been moments where I've had deja vu and I like knew exactly what was about to happen. Like I knew exactly before I even got to it, I was like already in the setting. Like she's about to say this and she's about, maybe we just psychic. <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I've wondered about that too. Actually. I have wondered if I like who in my lineage, am I the most alike who I look the most like mostly everybody say I look like my mama. Okay. But she looked like somebody. So answers like I need answers <laughs> um but yeah I do feel very drawn to my great-grandmother too like she's just been on my mind a lot um so we'll see but I think yeah it would be amazing if we were reincarnated as like an ancestor wouldn't yeah. it? oh my gosh <laughs> um so in terms of my life lesson I've been thinking a lot about this I was talking to my roommate about Saturn Returns and because those are where you kind of practice those life lessons and it happens every like 28 to 30 years you have to go through the same thing or maybe different ones but I think for me something I've really been struggling with is taking care of myself and balancing like self-care with community care because I'm someone who will give a ton of community care and then when it's time to take care of Lynn Nicole I'm like you know what I can do that tomorrow um, and so I, I've been called out about it a lot in divination and I just, I keep feeling so guilty when I take care of myself. So I know it's going to, that's going to be my Saturn return. And I'm so scared because <laughs> they're going to be like, you need to take better care of yourself. But, but I don't know if that's just like just my Saturn return lesson or if it's gonna, my overall life lesson. I'm still trying to figure out what my overall life lesson is. Yeah. That Saturn return It'll whoop your ass. I don't even know what's going on most days. Like, I don't know what which way is up, but I know I'm in it. So, 
<laughs> I'm in it until March 2023, apparently. I wonder why it doesn't end on my birthday. This is weird. It ends like the month after. Oh, because it's when Saturn was in whatever, not when you oh. specifically was born. Yeah, that makes sense because it's a lot of us in our Saturn yeah. return right now. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, what? Uh-uh, I want this to end like as soon as I turn 30. What are y'all talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. What are your final thoughts about the episode and dreaming and Toni Morrison and and freedom? <laughs> <laughs> I I want to say I'm so grateful for this um, speech. I listen to it every now and then just because it's so, I don't want to say it's inspirational, but it just reminds me that I have like, I have a reason for being here. I have a purpose for being here and to use my time wisely. Um, And yes, I need to be responsible to other people, but I also need to be responsible to myself. And anytime I feel stuck or anything else, I can dream my way out of that. Like I can, I am the creator of my life. I don't have to accept anything I don't want to. Amen. I don't even got nothing to add. You said it. <laughs> Period. All right. Well, if you like this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Who Plants and Instagram at Who Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs> yes. Stay Bye. Tuned. Bye.